Hello, everyone. I'm here with Eric Patrizzo from Cascapa Construction today. He's the managing director there. Uh, welcome, Eric. We're going to be talking today about some um, New York construction issues. So welcome. And uh, why don't you please just tell us a little bit about uh, Cascapa? Hey, Stephen. So thanks very much for having me. Uh, so Cascapa Construction is a um, full service uh, exterior ration, uh, restoration company focusing on facade restoration, roof replacements, uh, and sidewalk replacements. Um, we do do various work um, around the building, such as fire escapes and other minor punch list items. Um, our focus is on the five boroughs, New Jersey, Westchester, and Long Island. Um, our company, I joined uh, Cascapa back in 2018, and our company's uh, revenue has grown 10 times uh, since that point. So. Uh, We've had some pretty good years of uh, gaining market share, and we're very excited about uh, 2023. Great. So that's that's excellent. I'm glad you guys are doing so well. So let me let me ask you. I know uh, um, focus on today is uh, so sidewalks, roofs, and facades. So I know that your your company handles all those types of projects. So can you just tell us, you know, from a complexity standpoint, you know how how those how those rank. Yeah, um, I'd certainly put facades at number one, um, mainly because rigging um, a building uh, could be the most challenging part. Um, uh, a birthday cake building that has different setbacks um, could require uh, different drops or multiple drops um, in, a di in, in the same location. Uh, knowing the type of roofing system, um, if you have a wood deck or a steel deck, uh, so where you can actually put your uh, tiebacks into. Um, can you use outriggers? Can you use sea hooks? Um, those are some of the challenges on the facade side. The the physical work of the brick point, brick repointing, um, stone replacements, uh, sealant, uh, lintel work isn't as challenging as the rigging part. Uh, roof and sidewalks, I think, are pretty comparable. Uh, the biggest thing for both of them is the unforeseen conditions. Uh, for a sidewalk, it's knowing that there's a vault underneath um, and, if, and if there is, um, what kind of waterproofing, what kind of uh, uh, height you have from where the ceiling uh, of that vault is. For the roofs, it's knowing, again, what kind of uh, supporting system is underneath there. Um, also understanding uh, what type of roofing system you're going to be using there. Um, so those two, I would say, are close second, but facades are certainly the most challenging. Right. And I know you, you had mentioned right, right before we started speaking off camera, you had mentioned that you know, the beginning and the end of the projects are sort of the biggest challenges. So can you elaborate how, how the beginning is is more challenging, particularly, I guess, with um, facade projects? Right. So, yeah. So for facade projects specifically, um, we uh, at Cascapa always ask our clients for an LOI, uh, letter of intent. Uh, once the LOI is issued, we start the process of uh, preparing the CD5, which is how we're going to be, uh, the type of scaffolds we're going to be using, where we're going to be mobilizing, how we're going to be tying everything back, uh, and the site safety plan. Uh, those two components need to be done in a quickly time matter because they require the DOB approval, and the DOB could sit on these uh, items from anywhere from two weeks all the way to about eight weeks. On the building side, what's really challenging is getting those neighboring access agreements finalized. Um, right. So do you, do you find that when you're doing, let's say, like local law 11 work for facade uh, work, do you, do you typically have to get an access agreement for your neighbors? Are you seeing that? Yeah, uh, we have about uh, 10 facade projects going on right now. And I would say majority of them have access agreements 
And uh, of that majority, about half of them have multiple access agreements, um, which is um, requiring uh, the Buildings Council to get involved, um, requiring both the contractor building and neighboring buildings insurance broker to get involved, um, as well as the type of protection you're going to be using on that terrace um, or over that space to protect it. Right. I know you you just alluded to you know neighboring properties insurance. So I know that that's that that's a big issue. So um, could you just explain you know you know briefly how, why is why is the insurance you know such an issue and what and what I know I see some um, some issues on my end from the legal side, but I'm just curious what you what you see on your side like what what issues do, do uh, contractors or buildings run into? Well, the insurance brokers uh, for most of the uh, Manhattan high-rises, and I should even say New York City high-rises, have educated the property management companies that a certificate of insurance is insufficient um, to confirm that a contractor has the proper coverage. Um, And they've asked for the underlying policy behind that. Uh, Specifically, what the insurance brokers are looking for is to make sure that, one, the contractor doesn't have any residential exclusions, height restrictions, or equipment restrictions, and two, typically has one to two million of primary coverage on the GL and about eight to 10 million of excess umbrella coverage. Um, this is enough money uh, for a building to feel that uh, the contractor has the proper coverage. Yeah, I know what, what I've what I've seen, unfortunately, in a few instances is that the, the I guess in the bidding process, even though the specifications require the types of insurance coverage that you're talking about, unfortunately, the they don't vet the contractors, I guess, in advance. And then after the contract is signed, we find out that they don't have the, the proper insurance. So I'm curious, from your perspective, have you seen you know, management companies or the engineers during the bidding process actually ask for your policies or does it usually come after the fact? Um, so since I started in 2018 here, early 2019 even, um, it has been probably in the last two years become a significant requirement. Um, Engineer, uh, engineers have included on their specifications. Um, they typically don't get involved of reviewing the policies. They typically provide that directly to the managing agent so that they can provide to the insurance broker. Uh, but it has become a prequal to get on to get on the bid list, to um, meet with certain, um, uh, to, to be able to bid on that. And depending upon um, uh, which entity you're working with, whether it's a management company or a um, um, a private industry like an NYU or Columbia, they may have certain limit requirements on top of that as well. So um, uh, the insurance has certainly evolved. The brokers have really educated the management companies and have become very due diligent on making sure. Yeah. The contract I've, said, I've, de- I've definitely seen that that trend, and I think it, it, it's really helpful if actually the insurance issues are flagged uh, because the the less qualified contractors will get screened out, you know, before. Uh, you know, a bid is awarded and you're not sort of slowed down later trying to get additional coverage or just realizing that the, the contractor is not qualified to do the project. So I think that's it's good that yeah. if everyone gets and that. I, and I would tell you that one kind of little tidbit for a building to think about is looking at that general condition number. If you have one contractor that's 30 or 40 percent less than the other contractors, right. chances are that they may not have the proper insurance coverage right. because we're all factoring in some level of percentage of our premium we pay in that general condition number. Makes makes complete sense. And I, I've seen that happen and uh, the uh, way things have unraveled because of that. So that's, that's a good point. So also on, uh, you, you had mentioned that, you know, on the back end, so the construction progress project itself, 
you know, usually goes relatively smoothly. And then I guess just at, at, on the back end, there, there's sometimes there's some hitches. So what are, what are some of the things that sort of prevent a project from getting closed out? Yeah, so a couple things. Um, the engineers are pretty good at making sure that there's a punch list available, made aware to the property manager, uh, board, and contractor. Um, but ten, what tends to happen through that is as you're doing the punch list, a board or property manager says, hey, you know, uh, I have a sidewalk flag that I'd like you to – uh, just cut out and, and do for me. Um, or, you know, I have a, a railing inside. I would just like for you to give me a proposal to paint. I certainly recommend that the contractors focus on the scope of work that they have been hired to do and that the engineer is going to oversee. Two parts of that is one, the engineer has to file this with the DOB. And second, you're going to be paying for an engineer's fee um, and time uh, to oversee all this work. So having them oversee my little sidewalk flag that they're going to do or painting of railings is, in my mind, flushing money down down the toilet. So why why do that? Makes 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 complete sense to me. So uh, on, on a personal level, Eric, I know I know you're a big Giants, New York Giants football uh, fan uh, like I am. And Daniel Jones, his contract is up. His uh, rookie contract is ending as well as Saquon Barkley's, I believe. So so what's your what's your feeling on those two players and, and whether the Giants should resign them? You, you you were really kind of undercutting me there by saying I'm a big fan. You know how big of a fan I am. <laughs> uh, I'm excited. I think Jones is going to resign. I'm cautiously optimistic they'll come to a long term deal. Barkley fifty fifty. If I were to kind of go with my you know kind of give a guess, I would say they sign him, but it's going to be really close. Right. Right, right, right. Well, I think we can't complain. You know, the Giants made the playoffs this past year, so it was. It was I was pleasantly surprised. I don't know if you if you had bigger aspirations for them, but I I, I thought it went pretty well. You know what? I, I I think like you know probably similar to you that that night of the Eagles, I had you know images of making the NFC Championship, making the Super Bowl, <laughs> and going on that run, and they were quickly dashed with after the first five minutes of the game. So, yeah, it wasn't much but I, I think you said it right. It was a great run. It was fun season. And it's uh it's nice to be a giant to be proud to be a proud Giants fan. Again. Yeah, they have a good it looks like they have a good head coach, so um things are heading in the right direction finally. Definitely, definitely. Eric, it's been great speaking with you today. I'm sure everyone listening in and, and watching has enjoyed this conversation. Where can people contact you and uh, learn more about Cast Kappa? Sure. So um you can go on our website at ww.cascappa.com to take a look at some prior projects we've completed, as well as testimonials from our customers. And you can also reach me by email at e, my last name, Petrizzo, P-E-T-R-I-Z-Z-O, at cascappa.com. All right, great. Thanks a lot, Eric. Be well. Thanks, Stephen. Be take well. Care. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this content, please click like and subscribe. And remember to make every day great.